Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light. He's Ari Wasserman. Ari, how you doing, bud? The number one team in the composite rankings won the national championship, so uh, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. How about you? No, I think the number two team beat the number Oh, one the number team. two team. You know what's funny about that? And I don't know what happened or if somebody transferred out of the program or left, but Georgia was number one at the beginning of the year, and then Alabama jumped them in the middle of the year, and I don't know how that worked. Yeah, did I you know notice that? A, yeah, I, I did because when I was doing a little show prep and I was just confirming that those were the top two and I, I expected it to be Georgia number one, Alabama number two. I don't know if there was some sort of correction. Like you said, someone someone left the team at Georgia or whatever or someone from Alabama wasn't on previously. But um, I, it, it, it validates your existence, right? That the top two teams in the, uh, in the uh, 247 team talent composite played for the national title. It's a little bit of a ding that the number two team shockingly upset the number one team over the, even though the number two team was favored. Yeah, the, the thing that I said on Andy's show and, you know, people who listen to this podcast might be a little bit different and are recruiting nerds like we are that don't need to hear this. But, like, I don't think that the Stars Matter mantra is all that profound. Like, I sometimes, like, wake up in the morning and think, like, how did this become my brand? I like, All I'm saying is water is wet. You're master and, of the obvious. Yeah, yeah. It just the teams with the most good players win the most. And, you know, I didn't know that. I still don't know how it is an ongoing debate with some people. Like, it's almost like debating about whether or not the stars in the galaxy exist. It's like you're looking at it. Like, what do you need? What other, What else do you need? Um, but, yeah, I think it was cool to see a playoff with new blood this year, as we talked about. And if you go back and listen to Stars Matter and how we discussed the playoff before it happened – exactly what we said would happen would happen because that's the way it works, you know, and both teams that were down in the rankings and the two, four, seven composite talent metrics got their butts kicked. And, you know, when they expand the playoff inevitably, there will be some entertaining games like Michigan state uh, pit might matter in the future. And, you know, there might be some teams that win a few playoff games or, or, or one, and then they will eventually get matched up with the juggernaut that has, the talent advantage and they'll get their butts kicked too. So that's just like the way it works. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you appreciate it. So I don't want to waterboard you with more of the obvious. <laughs> What's your reaction to the, uh, the, the stars don't matter talk after Stetson Bennett, former walk on beats Bryce young, number one quarterback in his class. Yeah, I um, will say and be the first to admit that I thought that, Georgia's biggest weakness in the game was lack of athleticism at the quarterback position. And he's a good you, athlete. He's can run. I don't think if you if you're looking at Stetson Bennett as an overall quarterback, I don't think you say his lack of athleticism is what doesn't make him an all-American. He is I think a, lack of athleticism as it pertains to recruiting rankings matters in the sense of 
like being able to do things physically that other people just can't do. Like, I think that's exactly what the entire star system is, is predicated off of. Like Bryce Young is a five-star athlete because every single time they send a corner and he doesn't see it, he shimmies away from him, slippery as hell, and can run away from him and, and make a play downfield. And I don't care how much you coach Stetson Bennett to do that, he physically cannot do that. So when I say athleticism, I'm, I'm talking. I'm not saying that he isn't an athlete compared to you or me or a, not a really good high school football player. I'm saying he can't physically do things the way that his opponent can. Um, and when you're playing against a team like Alabama – as you saw on the first play of the game when he rolled out into a blitz and got sacked, um, you know, that's not something that that he's able to do. Now, I'll give him all the credit in the world because on this podcast last week, we, we discussed the last five national championship winning quarterbacks were all NFL starters. And I don't know, maybe I'll be wrong again about Stetson Bennett, but I don't think he'll ever take a snap in the NFL. Um, so, like, if you're using Stetson Bennett as a look, stars don't matter um, blueprint, I will say that it's actually probably more proof that they do right. because the roster, the roster that he was playing with. I mean, honestly, Mitch, and I don't want to take anything away from Stetson Bennett. He made that game tying or game, the lead taking throw in the fourth quarter after that weird fumble. And they, they Georgia went out and took that game and won that game. He's going to be a champion forever. And a, a, a person that stands out in Georgia history. There's no question about it. Look me in the eyes and tell me you think Stetson Bennett won that football game. No, I think they won because they have an elite roster and he made just enough plays. I think they, he, I, we, I, we talked briefly. I, I think he is a better quarterback, college quarterback than you do. We can agree to disagree on that. I think he is. But even if that's the case, he's not an elite one. Right. So, like, I agree. That's, so like, there's a distinction. But, it, it, but I agree. It proves the point because their roster – on both sides, you know, they might not have had the best secondary in the country, but they, they have, by, by the fact that we opened this podcast talking about the, they were the number two team in the country in, in overall talent. We've, we've talked a lot about Clemson teams in the past. Clemson teams won the national title because they had that elite quarterback around a very good roster. Georgia's almost the anti-Clemson. They had an elite roster. Around they have the best good, defense good, in 10 years. You're right. Around a good I mean, college quarterback, so it's very Alabama spoiled us, and maybe that LSU team. It's very rare that you have. Well, it, maybe it'll be it'll start to be less rare, but you have that elite quarterback around a elite elite roster. Usually, teams have some weaknesses, and we Georgia had a weakness that maybe they did not have a top five. Quarterback. Georgia was so good that they won the national championship and beat Alabama when their weakness was the most important position. So I, I don't know if I'd call it a weakness. I'd maybe their weakest spot, but I don't know if it was. A yeah, for a super team in college, the yeah. weakest spot is the most important position. That usually doesn't equate to national championships. You know what won the game, Mitch? Uh, I think Alabama was in the red zone four or five times, and I think they only scored one touchdown. Well, and you know, also won the game that Alabama had two of the probably five best wide receivers in the country who didn't play. Yeah, I mean, but I don't. I don't that, like. I actually don't like to do that because. But it's true. It's it. Just think how much more different. I'm not taking away from Georgia. We've, yeah. we've said Georgia has one of the best teams we've seen in college football in the last five years, but you have a team, you're taking away their two best offensive weapons. They become easier to defend. I don't think there's any way you can yeah, say Yeah, there's no question. You know, in the year before, Alabama would have beaten Ohio State 100 times out of 100 if they played probably, but Ohio State was missing like 15 guys off their roster because of COVID and injuries in that game. Ohio State's running back got injured and left the game and on the first play, I think injuries are just part of the game. And, yeah. you know, in, I'm not taking away what you said. Of course, having Mechie and, and Juice Man would have made things a lot harder for, for Georgia. But the thing I will say, and then we can move on, is 
the game was a pure four quarters of crazy athletic, talented people hitting each other very hard. Yes. And I don't know if there's another team in college football that could have beaten either of those other two teams. And the fact of the matter is... Despite the fact that you tweeted uh, your on-brand tweet at one point. What's a joke? You know that was a joke, right? I I know. I 100% know. Ari tweeted during the game, you know, I think it's clear that Ohio State's the best team in the country. And I've been doing that that on the national championship game for the last four years, and 50% of the people get it, and the other 50% are like, oh my god, this guy's the biggest more. It's hilarious (laughs) to watch people freak out. It takes balls to do. To know know that, I mean, you have a lot of followers, let's be honest, to know that maybe 15,000 people think you're a freaking moron. (laughs) Yeah, well, hopefully the, the rest of the tweets, you know what, and that's fine. Like I, The way that I've always approached this job is we're talking about football. You know, we don't cover the White House. You know, we don't cover, you know, modern medicine or COVID or all the serious issues that are happening. Let's have fun with it, you know? Yeah. And, and I never, you know, I get strong headed and I say the F word sometimes and I get fired up and, but like, I never pretend that I think I'm right a hundred percent of the time. I'm wrong all the time and you're right sometimes and you're wrong sometimes. The fans listening to this are, are right and yeah, wrong. No but doubt. The, the fun part about it is just the discourse. So... You know, I, I think that there are certain things that are undisputable facts, like um, the th- importance of talent on a roster. And if you don't, if you don't believe that, which nobody listening to this does, then I question your ability to analyze things. But the thing that we talked about all year was Georgia's defense. The thing that was the storyline from start to finish is the thing that won the national championship, and the team that was best from start to finish won the championship and I think that's great and it's a cool new face and I know it's funny because we always mention Georgia as uh, one of the cool kids in the recruiting realm which is what we've discussed 90% of our time Um, but also I lost my train of thought there sorry I could see it in your face I got a text message and I read it what was I saying you were talking about Georgia being good at football Oh, okay. Well, you know, the thing that I I just want to say is you don't have to look at your phone. I have, uh, I have, I have a Mac. So whenever I got a text that pops up on my, it was actually Andy uh, trying to schedule my next podcast. Um, Georgia is just, oh, I know what I was saying. Georgia is somebody that we talk about a lot in the cool kids table, right? They recruit a lot of talent. They're five-star prospects. They're, they're able to win a national championship, but in actuality, it was a new team that actually won it, which I think is cool. Yeah, no, it's, been it's good over for the forty sport. years to have some new blood. I think people are going to get tired of Georgia in four years because they're going to continue right. to return to this stage as a result of the talent that they're accumulating. Um, but it was kind of cool to just see somebody other than Alabama win it. Yeah, and uh, they great fans. I know a lot of living in Nashville. I know a lot of Georgia people. Happy for all the all my Georgia fa- friends. Um, yeah, so it was cool. Um, this is an interesting note. Um, actually, Cor- do you know Corey Massasak? I, I don't know him. I knew the name. He is our Sharks beat writer at The Athletic. Used to work at SEC Country. Listens to the pod. Thank you very much, Corey. He sent me this note Saturday night. I mean, when was the game? Monday night. It's not 100% true because of the two are coming off the bench, but he said this has to be the first time that, that three quarterbacks from the same draft class, uh, from the same signing class, won a national title. Tua. Uh, Matt Jones, uh, Mac Jones, and Stetson Bennett. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, but it's again, it would have been better if Tua started the national title game. But like he, no, he still he won it. I, I still yeah. think that he, that counts. 
So yeah, yeah. so that's and I, I did some research. I just double checked, and it is in fact the case. There's been a couple times where two guys from the same signing class, and it's, it's just crazy that you know one of them did it as a, I guess freshman. One of them did it as a junior, and one of them did it. No, two was a sophomore, right when he came off the bench. Yeah, uh, no, he was a freshman. He was a freshman. He's a true freshman. Yeah. True freshman when he came off the bench, and then Mac Jones did it last year, and then Stetson Bennett this year. So few uh few housekeeping things, just so some. Uh, Goings on in the past week, and we're gonna get, got a few more topics, but we got some great mailbag questions that I, I dove into your mailbag uh, that you some some that you answered and some that you didn't answer. But um, so right now we've got three five stars who have yet to uh, commit. Number nine, Shamar Stewart uh, from Florida A and M, and I guess Miami is making a big push for him. Let me chime in if you've got different information, Ari. But Devin Campbell still hasn't announced. Still looks like a Texas situation. And uh, Josh Connerly, the offensive lineman from Seattle, uh, will be interesting. He announced uh, a list of six last week. Michigan is in good shape there. And I guess Jacoby Matthews is the only other top 100 player who has yet to announce uh, safety from Louisiana down to A&M and LSU. And I don't know if you saw this earlier, Harold Perkins, who committed to A&M last week at the All-American game, is visiting Florida this week and may visit LSU, according to Steve Wolfong of 247. So, Interesting. Went ahead and committed to A&M, looking to be, I think, their seventh five-star, which would tie a record, but still taking visits there. So some guys to watch there. Um, and I guess the big news of last week was um, Kevin Coleman, Jackson State. Dion, Coach Prime getting it. And I, that was a surprise. I mean, I think Coleman even said he did not even tell uh, Dion or Travis Hunter that he was going to put the Jackson State hat. I, I I think we all thought it was going to be Miami over Florida State there, so that was the big news in San Antonio. Dude, if Jackson State gets three or four of these guys a year, and I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but they are going to dominate that level of football to the point where I don't think we've ever seen in, in college. I mean, it might be like the Mountain Union of that level. Right, their difference like between I mean, Alabama getting, and the rest. Like they're, they're, they're their getting bona fide five-star fringe five-star prospects to play a level lower i mean if they have if there's ever a point in time where jackson state has 10 of those guys on their roster at any given time that's going to be unbelievable like i I don't even know if it's going to be fair yeah i hadn't thought about in that terms i just i thought about them building a really good team but when you compare it obviously to the to the teams they're going to be playing in the swack it's going to be incredible because there's not i mean most teams at the power five level don't have 10 top 100 players on their roster exactly exactly um couple other things from last – this was kind of – Jeremy Bernard, we talked last week about him, uh, briefly had been one of the top – I think the number one commitment in Washington's class and uh, got out of it. I think he actually signed, got out of his letter of intent when Junior Adams, their wide receivers coach, left for Oregon. He signed with Michigan State. So um, Michigan State, this isn't exactly a transfer, but it's sort of like a transfer since he already signed. So getting a really good wide receiver there. Um, Cyrus Moss going to Miami. I thought that was that was impressive. By my uh, by the former coach at uh, uh, Florida <laughs> International. Come on, give um, it a try, Mario Cristobal. So uh, really good get from from Las Vegas. Was not really considering Miami before uh, Mario made the move there. Really, really important recruit for Miami. I'm very excited to see Mario Cristobal cook for an entire cycle. Like this is honestly probably one of the better storylines. Uh, or, or, or cycles, the 2023 cycle for just storylines. You got what USC is going to do with Lincoln Riley. You've got Brian Kelly at LSU. You've got Crystal Ball down at Miami. Uh, Billy Napier at Florida. Like there was a lot of first year 
brand name coaches taking over major programs. And a lot of these programs are like sleeping former powerhouses and like, which one's going to win the battle, I think is a very interesting thought process. Probably and, not something that you put on your sheet there, but it's like, if you had to pick between Miami, USC, Florida, Notre Dame with Marcus Freeman, Brian Kelly at LSU, like which program do you th- like, are you most excited about seeing? Like, well, if you would have looked at my sheet, that you have access to one of the bullet points was who's the biggest winner of the, the coaching carousel. So that's something that basically is your question there, but, but real a note on Miami, their class is like number 36. Cause they only have 10 signees. Their average player rating is 92.65, which is fifth. So that, that is very important. Um, you, you know, uh, got Jaleel Skinner to decommit from Alabama and sign a top 100 tight end right before, uh, during the early signing period, defensive lineman Nigel Kelly, a local kid there. So, um, again, it's not going to be a big class, but a lot of talent coming in to Miami. And, and we talk about this every week, but to your point there, it's good for the sport if Miami's recruiting great and USC's recruiting great and all these schools are recruiting great because you know what it does? It takes away one or two players a year from Alabama, from it's Georgia, water level. Ohio State. Yeah, it's Ohio State. You had a question like this in your mailbag uh, last week again. Yeah, two weeks and ago. I thought, yeah, two weeks ago, and I thought it was just a really a good question, and, and you had a good answer for it. It's like, it's not, it's incumbent upon the second tier programs to steal one or two recruits a year away from the superpowers. That's how we're going to get uh, some parity. It's just, just, we need USC, and we're just talking about we as the sport to get to yeah. to, to create some more parity. We need the Penn States and the Michigans of the world to, to to beat Ohio State on one or two kids a year, and then over the course of five years, you're going to have the talent. It's going to be more spread out over more rosters. And like what it basically comes down to, it's like we we have to try to come up with all these different scenarios and rules and thought processes about how we can stop 66 of the top 100 players from going to five schools. It's like the collective uh, efforts of everybody um, doing their part, especially on their home turf. You know, that's the other thing, too. We talk so much about the importance of keeping kids home and geographical implications of these recruitments. Now you have legitimate stud recruiters in areas of the country that had previously been raided. Like, I know Clay Helton did a pretty good job at the end of the 2021 cycle at USC. I don't want to take that away from him, but L.A. had been raided. South Florida's being By raided. Oregon, yeah. Yeah, and now Jimbo Fisher is putting his foot down in Houston. And, you know, if Brian Kelly can put his foot down in L- in Louisiana still and keep that thing going, it's like what you're doing. And Marcus like Freeman a, can get more yeah, Marcus Freeman Midwestern, the Midwestern kids. kids. Going to like, Ohio. Collectively speaking, if there's less movement from – coast to coast and from west coast to the south and and from the midwest to the south and from florida to ohio and all the things that are going on you know especially too now you've got clemson and mac brown um battling in in the state of virginia which you know grace as we spoke last week is working on a story about that you have steve sarkeesian at texas um like there's a lot of big name quote-unquote really good recruiters at geographical hotbeds and it might be like this might be a good story idea of just like the idea of what is the if you're a national brand program who makes a living keeping kids at home but also branching out nationally to fill out the gaps what geographical part of the country like what 
where would you attack for your secondary income? You know, like if you're Alabama, do you want to go down to South Florida? Of course. Like, and of course, if you're Alabama or Georgia or the schools in that, in that realm, you go anywhere, regardless of who the coach is. I'm not saying that's not the case, but it's not as easy to go into Miami right now, or it shouldn't be right. Right. It's not as easy to go out to LA right now, or it shouldn't be in theory. You know, Houston is a really hard place to recruit now because of A&M in Texas. You know, I I don't know where the secondary market was. I mean, Atlanta was a pretty good secondary market when Mark Rick was the head coach there for a while. For Atlanta's really hard now that Georgia's doing what Georgia's doing. I don't even know. It's like for the teams that are, are relying, I, honestly, this might be the hardest thing for Notre Dame, if we're being honest. It might be a good story to pitch to, to Pete Sampson. Like of, of all the teams that... Could get hurt by this. I mean, Oregon, too. Yeah. Because yeah. all the teams that are purely national, the ones that spend the most time away from home because they don't have a home base to rely on, are going to have a harder time at every stop they go to now, no matter where they are in the country. And I believe that the two biggest programs that are hurt by that are Oregon and Notre Dame. Am I forgetting anybody? I don't think so. Uh, Michigan. Michigan, Michigan. D- despite being, you know, right there in There's Ohio, a lot of talent Mich- in Michigan, though. There's right. so much there's, more talent but, in Michigan but than there is in, in Oregon. traditionally been, I yes. think, you know, one of, one of the national recruiters. I think Oregon's the one that's going to hurt uh, more than Notre Dame. I, th- I still think Notre Dame has a brand where it can go, you know, there's still certain kids that want to go to Notre Dame. And not saying that Oregon's not going to recruit well, but I, I just think it's... Well, Oregon's you know, hotbed for, for their talent in Southern, Southern California. California. Right. So, like, that's, that, to me, to lose your coach the same year that Lincoln Riley comes in as like a kind of a cluster for them. Yeah. Um, so that's what, you know, it, they hired a coach who has recruiting chops. It's that's, that's, you know, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, going forward, it's, it's, we, we all say every week, it, it's good for the sport. If the top schools are protecting their backyard and not letting, you know, and again, we, Alabama is going to go into South Florida. They're going to get two or three kids a year. That's just, maybe they're not going to get four or five kids a year. And that the, those two kids there make a difference. Um, so, because you have to look at recruiting over a four-year period, not just a one-year period, right? And the thing is, Miami needs to win too. Miami, not to this degree, but pretty much every coach has gone to Miami has made a, probably initial splash recruiting. But if you're doing this in three years, four years, and you're not winning, then you're not going to get these kids. So, is Mario the, Cristobal the biggest like splash they could have made? Oh, I think so. No doubt. For for the fact that he was He's from there too. Yeah, like like I think Lincoln Riley to USC nationally is like the biggest. Oh my, you know, the, might change the landscape of the it's sport. A, it's a more, perfect but, fit, like a glove. Right, but I yeah. If you would if you would say, ask Miami people, the one coach you know they're not hiring Nick Saban, obviously the one coach who who will energize our fan base, get recruiting back on track. I think it has to be him. I can't think of anyone else. So, like, to answer your question for biggest losers and winners, I think the biggest winners are probably Miami and, and USC, right? Yes. Um, the biggest loser is Oregon. I think so. Right now, looking forward. But, and you know, but if, if their new head coach kills it, then that changes. I'm just, I'm just talking about yeah, but his job, his job, Right, yeah. and his job is just more difficult. Because yeah. of what, what's going on there. Um, all right, we got a lot of good mailbag questions. Anything else you want to hit on before we, we move to the mailbag? Um, no, I have maybe. a note here that I'm not expecting you to really have many comments on. Um, and I pitched it for a story and you totally ignored me. Um, I might have missed it, man. I got a lot going on in my life right now. 
Yeah, I know. Sometimes when your editor sends you a message, you, you might want to get back to him. Although I, 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 did, I did the mistake of sending two questions at once and you answered one question. So. Oh, well, then I mean, I definitely missed it because sometimes okay. people will send you a text and then one will be stacked on the other, but you only see the bottom one. And it's not intentional. So hit me with it now. Okay. Kansas did some good things in the football field this year, right? Good coach, Lance Leipold. They beat Texas, showed a lot of progress. Maybe get a little jolt, as you like to say, in the recruiting realm. They have six commits, only one top 1,000 player, five transfers so far. Like, what is the, what's going on at Kansas? Like, I don't know what their senior class looks like and how many signees, they, how many guys they can bring in. But it just feels like if you've got – you showed some life in the field for the first time in five years. You won a high-profile game in Texas that everyone was watching, and you have one top 1,000 commit. You have six commits only. We have the early to, signing period's already over. You know, we always joke about my Arizona stuff. Yeah. I mean, this guy, Len, how many Kevin Sumlin would be guilty. How many, well, I mean, this is a small class. This is, right. I mean, they signed 25 players, I think, right. when they had one. Um, I would like to, I, I, the hardest part about covering recruiting nationally is it's impossible to be an expert on everybody's roster situation off the top right. of your head. So, like, I don't know if Kansas is, like, 80% of their team is coming back next year and they just have a small class. Um. But I have said this before, I think on Andy's show, and I don't know, maybe even to you. And I did miss this, by the way. I don't remember reading this. I don't think Kansas is in a geographical area that is hopeless. No, I, you said it on Andy's show, yeah. and I was listening to you guys once, and I agree. Like, people act like Kansas is the most hopeless situation in the world. Now, they have sucked beyond belief for 10 years. They were been so bad. But they were they, they have been good under two coaches. Glenn Mason, they had a nice little run there, what, 20, 25, whatever it was, 20 years ago. And then Mark Mangino, they were very good. It is, I mean, we always joke about how bad you are in geography. I think Lawrence is only about 35, 40 minutes west of Kansas City. It's not like it's Manhattan, Kansas, which is even more remote. I, I don't I don't get, and I know it's a basketball school, I don't get the Kansas futility, like that they're, they're, they should be resigned to sucking. There's like no, there reason, are, there there's are no reason they teams, can't be solid. There are certain teams in college football where you can look at that and say they are meant to be one of the bottom five teams in the sport based on circumstance. I don't believe that Kansas fits that metric because Kansas, Kansas is only seven-hour drive away from Dallas. So they could recruit, they could recruit Dallas and they could recruit Chicago equally. And I, I know Kansas like, City doesn't produce a ton, but they are very close to a major city. They're Kansas also city. very close to St. Louis and yeah. Omaha, you know, and I know that Kansas, for the most part, like if you look at the state of Kansas, like you have um, Topeka and you have um, Wichita, Wichita and Lawrence and all these. And those are all like they kind of all feel like they're in the central or western or eastern part of the state. And it's like 80% of the state is just like cornfields, right? Like, so I understand that, like, there isn't a ton of talent. I don't know. Wichita is pretty central, too. But, you know, the the entire western part of the state is completely empty. But if you come up with the right plan there and you recruit Texas, you recruit Chicago, you recruit St. Louis, you recruit Little Rock, you know, maybe get into the south a little bit, that they would absolutely have to have some sort of national element to it. But... How far is a seven-hour drive, really? Like, could they just, like, focus on Dallas? And if you're a, a Dallas prospect, 
you have the right coach in place with a a sales pitch that makes you think twice. Could Kansas beat out SMU? Sure. Like SMU is a better football team than Kansas right now. Right now, but not yeah. I mean, historic, like, it's not fair to look historically because SMU was in the uh, South. No, I just Conference. mean like right now, yeah. like SMU's class is better than Kansas's, and they only recruit Texas. I feel like they're if you if you have the right plan there, it's not a hopeless place. I don't think they're going to be winning any national championships anytime soon. But there's no reason why they should be losing by 50 in every conference game that they play and be completely uncompetitive in every realm of the sport, the way that you're yeah. describing it. Right. I agree. So, okay. Just so I'm just, if there's any Kansas fans want to let us know about why yeah, they've only signed uh, getting six players on the phone would be maybe an interesting story. Yeah. I could look at Maybe that. you should look at your Slack notes and come up with some story ideas. You can put now, me down on smart sheets for that. Okay. Uh, before we move on to some questions, um, I did want to know because I was looking at the two the class of 2023 commitments in the last two weeks. It's kind of funny because we talk about all these schools and protecting their turf and not going into other areas. There's basically been five or six five star kids commit from the class of 2023 in the last you know week plus. Notre Dame, Peyton Brown, a top 100 kid from Texas, Ohio State, Cedric Hawkins. A four-star safety from Florida. Cole Martin, a cornerback to Oregon from Arizona. Penn State got an edge rusher from Maryland. So here's a case, you know, not not to contradict what we said earlier, but in, we weren't suggesting that these schools like Notre Dame wasn't going to be able to go into other places and that, that Texas was going to be completely locked off to other schools. But Ohio State, I mean, again, Notre Dame going to Texas. Georgia today, doesn't this sound like a, a dude who's going to be making big plays in the SEC championship game in four years? Georgia got a tight end named Lawson Lucky today, four-star tight end from Georgia. That just yeah, seems like sounds, a Georgia uh, tight end. sounds pretty good to me. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm looking at the the 2023 kids that you just went down the list of. Yeah. Top 250 player or 253 Auburn to Auburn. Yeah. 208 Maryland to Penn State. Maryland is certainly Penn State's home sure. turf. Uh, right. Florida the one that jumps Ohio. out is Payne Brown from Texas to Notre Dame and Cole yeah. Martin from Arizona to But, to but Oregon. if you go look at Oregon, I think Oregon's recruited the state of Arizona traditionally better than any other school in America. Better than so, Arizona recently. Well, I recruited <laughs> the state of Arizona better than Arizona recently. Um, but... You know, those aren't really off off the off the reservation. Yeah, yeah. So, but just they're interesting to, to track for sure. Just want to bring that up. So, okay, so we're gonna bounce around here. Do you want to like go down the list real quick of just everything that happened at the All American game? Sure. I sometimes I don't know if we want. You, I I just debate like whether we just list commitments. Um, okay, I've got them here. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Jeremy Bernard, we mentioned earlier, uh, signing with Michigan State. Kevin Coleman to Jackson State. Cyrus Moss to Miami. Hero Canoe to Ohio State. Fringe top 100 guy. That was no surprise. Uh, bolstered what's a really good defensive line class for for Larry Johnson in a Ohio one State. name too. Yeah, Hero just and that, Landis it, took a picture of him um, at a camp in Ohio. It just looks like a happy kid. When your name's Hero Canoe. You just you got not much to complain. Sounds about. Sounds like he's going to be saving somebody from drowning one day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, safety: Larry Turner Gooden to Texas. Um, Your boy linebacker. The linebacker two one three in the nation. Daniel Martin to Vanderbilt. Um, Say it what, louder for the ones in the back. <laughs> tremendous, tremendous decision, young man. Um, and then this kid, <laughs> what, what's he thinking? Running back Rayshon Luke, number two sixty one to Arizona. Um, Ari with that NIL money there, kicking in, helping out the, the, the Arizona Ice T. Yeah, cornerback uh, Davison uh, Ig Ig I guess uh, to Ole Miss. Ernest Green. This was a big one. Who yes. he really dragged 
dragged his recruitment out from uh, St. John Bosco in California to Georgia. And this is like, this is his top 50 kid. This is kind of the poster child we've been talking about USC. USC is getting, has traditionally and will continue to get the skill guys. Here's an offensive lineman from their backyard who's going to SEC country. That's what Lincoln Riley will need to, to, to focus on getting the linemen, not just the skill guys from Southern California to hire two. Now you talked that's whose trainer or coach you talked to right after Lincoln Riley got the job said, Hey, this might, Ernest might look at USC a little bit more now. Obviously it was too late in the process. So, but that's who you talked to, right? Yes. So the um, recruiting coordinator of the high school. Yeah. You know, it's a good high school when the high school is a recruiting coordinator. Yeah. Like my high school, had like the staff on the total. staff, but he's like, in, he's in charge of dealing with like dealing the liaison. With the yes. Yeah. Uh, CJ Williams to USC, which was interesting. A Notre Dame commit. Uh, originally he was down to USC and UCLA. I mean, that's the Riley impact, man. That That's it right there. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that's it for that, the other side too, for Notre Dame. That's yeah. what we were just talking about. Yeah. And then uh, Trevor Etienne, nice get for Billy Napier at Florida. Clemson went after him hard. I think LSU went after him hard. Uh, obviously, Travis's brother, number 183 to Florida. So those were the commitments last week at the uh, All-American Bowl. Hey, um, this you wasn't one of the... T- I want to tell you something that I just what? Googled while you were talking. Okay. Arizona Ice Tea was founded in New York, and I'm devastated. Really? You think like a bunch of imposters, a bunch of Yankee imposters? Yeah, it's like I used to have some sort of like pride of like this is where I'm from and this stuff is good. I still love it and it's just a bunch of frauds. Wow. Are you going to boycott? No, it's delicious. I just, I'm, I'm just sad that. You shouldn't be drinking so much canned iced tea, too much sugar. Uh, I like the diet ones. Okay. I don't know if I've ever had the, the diet. Yeah. I mean, there's no bet. There's nothing more refreshing than a hot day. One of those tall cans of the Arizona iced tea raspberry. Have you ever had one of those? Don't think so, but I like flavored drink. Like I would like it. I'm not anti. You should. Just... You should try it one day. It's delicious. Okay. okay. Um. It's... And they're 99 cents. It's on the can. Cool. Good deal. Um. So this was. I just jotted this down because I thought you'd have a good answer for it. But to Ari from Ryan K, how come you don't go to a lot of national recruiting events like the Under Armour game or the All American game in San Antonio? From like I said, Ryan K, and the answer is you would love to go. You did go to the uh, opening in L.A. over the summer. It's the COVID, COVID and baby and everything else has gotten your way. Uh, but you, the plan uh, is to get Ari's year, ass on the road. Yes. This year, I'm going to all those things. Um, and I probably should have planned to go to one of the Under Armour games this year, or like one of the, the games um, this year. But we're also planning a wedding and the stuff got in the way right now. So uh, life got in the way. Yeah. Life got in the way. COVID got, we, my family had COVID. Um, so, you know, four, yeah. Five-star baby, five-star baby was never officially diagnosed. Right. But she just was a little stuffy. She was officially diagnosed. Oh, okay. okay. Yes. She, we were told she has COVID. She had a stuffy nose for four days and she's, she's back better than ever now. But, um, that yep. was kind of a scary few days. And, are there then, t-shirts like you know? There's everything that like my ba- cute t-shirts for baby. There's got to be a five-star baby t-shirt. If not, that's we got a business need, idea. We, yeah, there we go. Um, but also every they parent's got to buy. Like no, pa- n- no parent wants to like say they have a three-star baby, right? Like every parent. Thinks I mean, some people star. have three-star babies, right? Sure. But their parents yeah. think they're five stars. That's true. That's like it's funny because um, everybody always like my baby does certain things like if you hold the baby up from her armpits and place her legs down onto like a hard surface, like your leg or the bed or something, she can like balance herself. 
like Athlete. basically basically standing and i don't know if that's normal for three months and then she's also very alert like about what's going on around her and like she moves her head and follows things and everybody always says things like especially in my family and even even me to a certain extent of like oh my god she is super advanced or wow she's gonna be super smart and it's probably just like what every baby does you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I I don't know if she's dynamic in any of those ways yet. And I don't know if you can tell a baby's going to be dynamic when they're three months old. But it's just something that you kind of tell every parent tells themselves that their kid is special for whatever reason. And, she, you know, she's, she's super cute like me. She'll just be. Yeah, she's super cute. Her mother is beautiful um, and she's super cute. But if she's anything like me, she's probably just going to be an average student. And, you know, she'll make it in the world. But it's not like she's going to do anything that changes it. You know, like, who knows? I've got confidence in her. Five-star baby is going to get it done. Yeah. Um, we were talking okay. about education privately yesterday, me and Mitch. And, yeah. you know, hopefully one day she'll go to Harvard and, and do all the things that she can achieve. But, you know, dad is just a, a weird college football nut. Yeah. Um, all right. This, this is a kind of we, – we've had fun with these types of questions. We tackled a Virginia Tech-type question last week. Um, this is from Jared B., Am I foolish to think NC State can do much better than Dave Doran? He's shown he doesn't have it in him to win big games in his recruiting. We're going to focus on the recruiting part. Is extremely average at best as he's currently getting smoked in that area by UNC. Yes, he puts guys in the league, but he's in at best. He wins at best in eight, nine games and ends up meaningless bowl. Coach yet somehow keeps finessing extensions out of RAD. So I want to frame this. What... What type of recruiter should NC State be? Um, now, they, obviously, they're, they're going up against North Carolina when North Carolina has been at its you know historical peak in the past from a recruiting standpoint, obviously not on the field in the past two years. So how would you answer, Jared? What should be his recruiting expectations? I mean, I think it's, it's tough to see an in-state rival completely crushing it. And when your in-state rival is completely crushing it, it also has an impact on your your territory, right? Like, I sure. mean, it's, it's no obvious. North Carolina yeah. isn't just doing good; they're doing good in your state, which then makes your team do worse. So it's kind of a double whammy. But like, you know, they're all kind of in the same general area, and I know that there's a romanticized vision of what Chapel Hill is, and if you've been there, it's a really cool place, and. You know, it's it's a place that everybody's it's a national logo that everybody's recognized since they were kids. And, you know, the baby blue, you know, I get it. I get it. It's but more like, of a brand. UNC is more of a brand. It's a huge brand. Um, kids at my high school in Phoenix would wear UNC stuff. You know, like it's it's always maybe it's the Michael Jordan of it. Maybe it's just the basketball of it. I don't know. But like what should North Carolina what like reasonable expectations would be? I would be very curious to go back and read that story that we wrote a year and a half ago, giving reasonable recruiting expectations for every single program. I bet you uh, for a team that's situated in a sneaky, good, good state for talent that, you know, I would expect them to be uh, in the 30s somewhere. Right. Yeah. I would I say mean, top 30 classes. We, um, we go, go back, Ryan, if you, I mean, Jared, hopefully you're a subscriber to the athletic and well, you are, if you left a question in the mailbag, I'm sure Jared read the uh, recruiting confidential that uh, Brendan Marks did in North Carolina. It was very interesting about, the dynamics between NC State and and, um, and UNC as far as the way they sell themselves where Dave Dorn and NC State, much more of the blue-collar guys where NC North Carolina is more about selling, you know, just it's just more more Flashy. sizzle. 
yeah, flashier and all that where, you know, NC State, NC State's the one that promote, hey, we get guys to the league because we work harder. We're the blue collar guys. And it's just definitely a different mentality. But from a geographic standpoint, I mean, they're, they're, they're neighbors right there. They have the same access to players. NC How far State away is, are they from each other? Like an hour? No, like eight miles. It's like, only eight miles? Well, the UNC and Duke are eight miles. But Chapel, like probably 15, 10, 15 minutes at the most. It's because it's called the research belt, right? Or the research, research triangle. triangle. Yes. Yeah, I've been to North Carolina, but I've never been to NC State. I probably should have stopped by. Yeah. While so I was there. Yeah. Um, when I was, I've, I've been to uh, Raleigh once, uh, just when I was in college. But um, yeah, there's no reason. I mean, they have the same same access to all those kids in North Carolina and Virginia that UNC is getting. They're just getting out recruited right now. I mean, if you go back and you look at their 2021 class, they finished number 36 nationally. You know. It's about probably where you you would expect, right? I mean, I know this year the twenty twenty two class is fifty one, but they only have twelve signees. But you, you the know? problem is what what UNC is doing. Like, yeah, it's it's, it's the, their NC their rivals always proving kind of that blended into the recruiting rankings. But when your rivals lighten the earth on fire, it makes it more and more difficult to stand by and accept less. You know, so I get it, I do. But like North Carolina State's been better at football, right? Yeah, I mean, their team was better I, than North Carolina's. Who won the game this year? I was crazy. It was NC State remember. had an amazing, amazing win. Like it didn't. It was onside kicks back and forth. Uh, NC State jumped out. Excuse me, <coughs> jumped out big. UNC came back. Looked like they stole. It looked like heartbreak for for the Wolfpack. But then they uh, again. Oh, rallied I remember late. that. Yeah, I remember one that of the game. craziest yeah, games. Yeah, I remember that game. I think you had might have money on it. You were sending angry <laughs> tweets or something. Probably. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but NC State um, has gotten more out of their players than North Carolina has. You know, I'm not ashamed to say that. So, you know, okay. I, I can understand the blue collar thing, but I think somewhere in the 30s. I don't know if you want to go run a guy out of town for not signing top 10 classes because what Mac Brown's doing in North Carolina is extraordinary. Yep. Um, similar question from Michael A. Jesse Temple's recent article about Wisconsin recruiting has kept me, a Wisconsin fan, and and. Wassermanian stars disciple matter. Uh, stars matter disciple. I love his phrasing. So Michael is a Wassermanian stars ma- matter disciple. I love you, there's, Michael. A, there's a t-shirt for you. What is a realistic recruiting goal for Wisconsin? How do they get there? Are the Badgers doomed to Minnesota or Purdue status if they stay on their current course? Didn't Wisconsin sign their first top 25 class of all time last year? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, in the 2021 cycle, and then this year they fell like Way back. Way back. Sun so, five star from Pennsylvania last year. I'm looking. Uh, Nolan Rucci. Yeah. Wisconsin was 16 last year. Now they were 26 the year before that. 29, 46, 39, 35, 41, 32. So they've, they've lived in that 30 range. So I find it interesting because this year they're the 44th ranked class. And uh, they have a top 75 player at offensive tackle who's from Wisconsin, which is the most Wisconsin recruit of all time. But it's just like, I think that Wisconsin is definitely a top 21 or top 25 uh, brand, don't you? I think that reasonable expectations would be annual classes in the top 25. And it's crazy to think that, you know, Wisconsin has traditionally recruited, what, in the 30s and 40s? Yeah. And they've been a constant fixture in the Big Ten championship game, which is really, really cool. What's the difference between Wisconsin and Oregon? Just the uniforms, the Nike? Like I, I, Yeah, I look at them both as like really good programs that have very few pro players in their backyard. 
Oregon recruits at the top 10 level. Wisconsin here's recruits my, at the top 40 here's level. Here's my thing with their differences. If I, I am a fast skill position player in, let's say... Right, the Dallas. programs are very different. Like, their football is very different. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a skill position player, and I get an offer from Oregon, and I get an offer from Wisconsin. Even though Wisconsin has been better on the field, like, results-wise... I don't necessarily think that I would ever consider Wisconsin from that standpoint. The problem with Wisconsin is that what they do best, their bread and butter, is a obsolete way of playing the game now. You know, they want offensive linemen and running backs. And, you know, their quarterbacks up until Graham Mertz, and even that's been kind of underwhelming, um, have been, you know, plain Jane, hand the ball off. And, you know, and when you eventually get stacked up with, Ohio State at the end of the year, you don't have an answer for their athletes. And, you know, sometimes I wonder if the Wisconsin way could be done differently. And I think I said this at the beginning of the year when they were playing, I think it was Notre Dame. Yeah. And like everybody ridiculed me. I'm like, oh, okay, well, why would they? Yeah, let's just ditch their identity because they, because they can't beat Notre Dame. But just like if Wisconsin is fine with where they are, and that sounds like the person who asked the question isn't, then what's the response for Wisconsin? Do you evolve and adapt? Or do you just die with what you are and hope to make the Big Ten championship game only to lose by 28 to whichever team from the Big Ten East shows up that year, you know? So I think there's ways to run the spread and have elements of the spread or, uh, you know, a, a new updated offense that still relies heavily on the run game. Like, I don't think that the blue-collar, smash-mouth, great offensive line, great running back mentality has to go to the wayside. Like when if Graham Mertz was better, sorry for the interruption, but if Graham Mertz was like, he was their big recruit. If he was better, maybe they would have had a more you know diverse offense and done more things in the passing game. I or, mean, I think their offense has to be diverse no matter what. Like yeah. I, I watch them play, and I'm like, they might. There's two things with Wisconsin. Wisconsin, they either smash the hell out of you, and you can't beat them because you can't stop them, or there's no chance. Like I don't like I they they play in these smash mouth Big Ten football games in the Big Ten West, and you know they're better than Illinois, and they're better than. Minnesota and some of the teams that they face every year they're better than Nebraska but like there's a there's a ceiling to that so to me Wisconsin has to decide do you stay with what you are forever and accept the fact that you have a ceiling and that you've already reached it or do you try your best to continue to you know adapt and improve and and like what do we always say Mitch Nick Saban's best attribute is as a coach is his adaptability coaches that can change with the times and, and keep up with the Joneses and all those things. And this kind of feel like Wisconsin's are an archaic place that knows what it is and does what it does very well, which is why they've been so successful for their, for their, you know, level, but there's a, a ceiling to that. So, you know, I, I see the pros and cons of both say with who you are and make the big 10 championship game and rule the big 10 West. But to me, if I were a Wisconsin fan, I would also be bored of that because I would just be like, I'm I'm going to reach my inevitable doom on the Would it be better stage. for Wisconsin to go six and six three years in a row and force them to change? I mean, I don't know that they ever will change. Like yeah. their their coach, if you saw him on the sidewalk in Chicago and had no idea who he was, you'd be like, That's the head coach of Wisconsin. <laughs> exactly. He's a big I bet you he's a big socks and sandals guy in the summer. You know, like I, I could you imagine if they like brought some like the guy f- from Kent State, Sean Lewis, yeah, <laughs> and they just ran Sean Lewis's system at Wisconsin? But that would be cool. Like I, I don't know. I think that 
but also Wisconsin probably matches the personality of the people in the state. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense regionally for what they are. So I don't know the answer to what, what the problem is, but like if the person who asked the question is expecting Wisconsin to sign top 15 classes every year, I think that's within the realm of possibility. I just don't know if it can manifest under the current circumstances. Fair enough. Uh, next two questions are tied together. Cause could you explain Chip Kelly's recruiting strategy? And then that's no. from, that's from Trace J. And then Gregory. I'm not sure C- Chip Kelly could explain his <laughs> right. strategy. Okay. Which teams in the last decade have underperformed in recruiting? And what should they do to get closer to their ceiling? So I went back and I looked at the 10 year average. I jotted down, I know you don't have the numbers all in front of you. I jotted down seven schools that I thought were rec- for last 10 year average that had underachieved Miami, average class of 16, UCLA, average class of 21, Washington at 23, Virginia at 46. Arizona at 51, Colorado at 55, and Illinois at 62. Those are the, I didn't spend a ton of time on this, but those are the ones those, that jumped the, those out Those are to the me. numbers from the story that we yeah, did together? That, well, yeah, those are the average. Well, it's, yeah, a little different because we did it before this 21 class. But yes, basically. Um, and UCLA, obviously, in that mix. Um, more UCLA when hitting could be a top 10 team. Right. I'm shocked by the lack of high-end re- high school recruiting given it's UCLA and Los Angeles. Can you say I actually have success relying on the transfer portal? They shouldn't have to. I don't, I, I don't care if, if Lincoln Riley has top five classes every year. That shouldn't affect UCLA that much. They should still be a top 10 recruiter. Yep. I'm with you on that. I think that Chip Kelly gets the, got the benefit of the doubt because he changed football um, to a – from an offensive perspective, like the game will never be the same. And at Oregon, when he did the hurry up and and kind of was a visionary of the way that the game is now played, he didn't need the super athletic athletes to, you know, do it because nobody was prepared for what they were doing on the field. But now that the game has caught up to his philosophy, you're back to square one. You don't have a, you don't have a leg up because people are anticipating what you're going to try to do. And you can't win at the highest level at the college football. You just can't do it without talent. So, you know, there's this school of thought of like, Chip Kelly is an evil genius. Give him time to cook. Don't judge his recruiting classes. And then when it all comes together, it'll make sense. And it's just like, what are we going into year five now? Yeah. It doesn't make sense yet. So DTR is coming back for another year, which is a little bit of a surprise, which is uh, if they don't get it done next year. I mean, they lose. uh, They just got got Dylan Gabriel, too, didn't they? No, he uh, he flipped. It was a transfer flip. He's the Oklahoma. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The transfer flip. We should talk about the transfer flip. Yeah, well, we just saw it. And uh, there was a question about it, actually. And I think it's happened in the past. It's just, guys, until you have to sign, basically, when you're transferring, until you have to enroll in class, you you can flip. I mean, right? You you. I think there's papers yeah, you, you can't. Sign. You can't sign. You can't. But you're not signing a national letter of intent. You're, you're not signing, signing some anything. scholarship you, agreement, right? We, you know. No, you uh, you commit, and then actually, somebody when Dylan Gabriel flipped, and I forgot about that. So thanks for correcting me. But when Dylan Gabriel flipped, a recruiting coordinator at a Power Five school texted me. I'm going to pull up the text right now. Um, he wrote, "I think the portal flip thing will become common because there's nothing binding until the school starts." Right. That's why it was so a big deal for OU that got. D- Dylan Gabriel because UCLA was supposed to start classes yesterday and you know he heard that secondhand. He said the other weird part is that it all it's all during a dead period. So there's like an OV exception for the week before a semester starts for transfers. Um, in my opinion, compliance departments are just starting to sort this all out. 
So they're just competing with a ton of schools to squeeze trips in from the, before the semester starts during a dead period when there's nothing binding until the until the kid enrolls in the college, which is a huge mess and we should probably write a story about. Yeah, and it's going to go on. There's going to be, you know, as as draft declarations happen, and certain schools haven't, like, doesn't Ohio State on a quarter system and they don't start till late January? I, I don't know. Like, certain schools don't start at the same time I, in January. Ohio State used to be in the quarter system. I don't know if it's changed. So... I was in the semesters in college. What about you? Semesters. Semesters. So, uh, so I feel like I went to Vandy now. Exactly. <laughs> um, this question you answered in the mailbag, and I wanted to add one thing to it. I mean, you answered it fine, but um, about uh, G5 coaches. Have you talked to G5? This is from Brian W. Have you talked to G5 coaches about how frustrating it has to be for them to recruit now because of the transfer portal? They identify an underappreciated player, develop them, and then – as soon as they have a great year, they have to worry about them leaving for a bigger program. You made the point that, yes, that exists, but that's always happened. Um, before signing day, you, you, you get a kid and you're just waiting for the Power 5 program in your area to, that, that lost a running back to call and steal your kid. The one thing I'd add to that is that it happens G5 teams can also go lower on the food chain and do what's being done to them. Like, look at Western Kentucky this past year. They went down to Houston Baptist and got Bailey Zappi, the quarterback, and Jareth Stearns, who I believe led the nation in in uh, receptions. So, you know, so I'm, this didn't happen. Kentucky can steal from Western Kentucky, but then Western Kentucky can steal from Houston Baptist. Houston Baptist can steal from an FCS program or another FCS program. So I think it's, a, it's an issue for coaches at all level. It's keeping What do you power. think of the way I answered that question in the mailbag? I thought it was good. In fact, I, I was going to add, realize it. Realize I thought, how I was, hard it I was is going, to coach at those places. Right. I was going to add this thing about Bailey Zappi, uh, but then I said, "No, I, I liked your answer. It was good." Yeah, it's it's roster management. It's uh, you, you mentioned like I forgot what you said. The coaches sit on pins and needles, but like if these coaches in the MAC that get this skill guy that they they know, like Toledo, what they've had a great run of wide receivers. They know this kid's going to be a stud. They're just probably dying up until signing day yeah, they're that pranks no one else that nobody notices until signing right. day. Right. Like, so they, like now I mean, this adds another they almost want guys to, to get hurt probably their senior year. Like they would yeah, love for a guy like, to pull a hamstring, nothing serious and miss the last half of a senior year. Yeah. I mean, it's true. And like if Toledo has a two star or three star receiver that ranks in the 1500s, that's actually going to turn out to be a stud. And then Purdue decides we need a receiver. Let's look around. And they find this like Purdue who's at the bottom of the food chain in the Big Ten, can steal it from Toledo. And that's been going on for years. And because of it, they've got holes in their recruiting classes because players flip for Power 5 teams all the time. Um, that said, the transfer portal you know, adds a different element to it because kids now can go to a school and play really well up for the team and then leave after that. But there's the other side of the coin of that too, Mitch, which is big-time players from your area who go to big-time schools and don't play and get frustrated and want to transfer might transfer back to you in the long run, which, you know, could be a – that's half of SMU's recruiting strategy. Right, and that – Re-recruiting that, Dallas area kids who go to Alabama and Florida and Florida State and all the other teams that are in Dallas and hoping that they can get them back on the second half of their career. That plays into this next this last question I've got from David F., and I don't know the, all the, the rules about this, but can coaches continue to make contact with players after they sign with a school, a different school? Are there any sort of tampering rules in place? Probably wouldn't have been an issue before the no-sit transfers, but now. So I don't know what the rule is. I'm sure you can send a congratulatory text, but now more than ever, it behooves a coach to stay in contact, be a good loser. If you lose out to a kid, like 
you know, would love to have you here. Good luck at Oregon, Oregon State, whatever. Text his mom, text his parents. So when two years later it's not working out, he remembers those texts. So yeah. I'm sure I'm sure coaches and you hear stories about coaches sending. I mean, notes every single to kids. time somebody enters the portal, the top five teams that people are speculating about are the teams that were recruiting him the first time. Right. Right. So yeah, it's, it's just all about be, relationships. Don't, don't be a sore loser in recruiting. It's it's not it's not a good look under any circumstance, but now more than ever, when kids can come home. I lied. One more question. From Kyle, what makes a recruiting reporter good at their job? What is the most frustrating, rewarding parts of your role? Um, I'd say what makes you good at your job is having a good editor. Is that mm -hmm. true? Yep. Who has all the ideas and basically writes all my stories for me. Um, the hardest part about being a recruiting writer or following it is that it's a never-ending avalanche of information, and it's impossible to stay on top of everything by yourself all at once. And there's a new set of info every year. And it never ends. Like it's 24 right. hours a day, Christmas day, there's commitments. Like it's just a lot. Um, and I don't think that we are there yet. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, one day into the future we'll, we'll get there, but there should there needs to be a context and understanding of, of my position as it pertains to like what somebody at two, four, seven would do. So like, sometimes I get frustrated of like the expectation from everybody who, who, uh, subscribes to the athletic of being like Ari where's everybody going and it's just like the coaches don't even know like Steve Wiltfong is among the best at his job because he's plugged in with all these kids and he knows where they're going or he knows who's leading and you know it's hard to keep up with with who where everybody's going all the time and what we do at the athletic is take the information that's already happened and try to contextualize it and you know be interesting and I'm not saying that we don't do recruiting updates and we don't but we don't call kids and ask them for their top five here and I think that people view recruiting writers as top five donkeys who will just call everybody and say, where are you visiting this week? Where are you? Yeah, I mean, have you read a 247? Like it serves its purpose, but have you read yeah, a story? On yeah. They're all sure. the same. Every single one of them. Here's right. this kid. Here's his offers. Here's where he's visiting. Here's his top five. And here's when he's announcing. And it's just like, okay, there's a, there's a place for that. And it's certainly like necessary because people want that information. And 247 is a, a major company and one of the most successful entities in sports because of that. But that's not what we do. So I think there needs to be a distinction. Like when you, whenever you call somebody a recruiting writer, it's like all of a sudden you're just like reduced down into like being a, you're a recruiting reporter, re rec recruiting reporter who only calls teenagers to figure out where they're going. And it's like, that's not at all what we do. Right. Um, the most gratifying part of the job is being able to build relationships with the people that we do write stories about because we do write a ton of stories. I'm going to talk to a three-star prospect tomorrow in person. I'm looking forward to writing a, a story about his, his journey. And I, and I like writing things that are deeper about these kids. That is just more than what is your top three. I like discussing their circumstances, their impact, like all the things that go on, which makes it a little bit more interesting to me than just, Hey dude, where are you visiting? What do you like about each school? Here's a quote a generic quote that you like about relationships with the programs. And there's actually no information in the story whatsoever, but it pretends like there is. And then out every time you or, know? or like, spending, like you did that Travis Hunter story, spent not saying that you guys are best yeah. friends, but spending 15, 20 minutes on the phone with the kid. And so when he does something that breaks like this huge breaking news a year later, you can speak with a little more context about him. Yeah. Yeah. Also tech. like, it's cool to see somebody like that make history. So yeah, I just love college football. And like, I feel like if I covered the NFL, I would want to cover the draft. Like, I think that's the coolest part of it because, like, team building is right. fun.
We've got the and draft I, I every day, like we, every day, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like that's what we cover here. You know, we're, we're covering the future of these programs, and then I get to sit back and watch the games and enjoy them like you guys do on Saturday. So it's uh, and having an understanding of who's on the teams and who's playing well, it, and all that stuff. It too helps you. I'll tell you, as someone who's been in this business for a while, as the managing editor at Athlon Sports, the preview magazine for 10 years, worked at Athlon for 18 years, thought I had a great grasp on personnel and teams. The best way to learn college to personnel is to study them as recruits. Yes, for sure. Then you, and then you also just, having oh, information about like, you know, the way they look and, you know, yeah, early exactly. on and, and having information in relationships with their parents and their coaches. And like I wrote a story about a kid in Dallas a few years ago uh, needed to go back to the same high school to write about another kid. And I texted the coach and he was like, Hey bud, yeah, come by. Cause he remembers me. Like, yeah, those are, it's, it's a lot of, you know, interesting things. And, you know, all, all in all though, and I'll say this, my fiance is in commercial real estate and she like places, uh, businesses into like their spots, like in shopping centers and outdoor shopping malls and stuff. And, she has some pretty big clients and stuff, and it's like super stressful for her, I think, at times to make sure that she puts certain clients in certain spots because she finds a, a, a personal responsibility to make sure that she's doing what's best for that business. Does that make sense? And sure. that can be a stressful thing because if a company goes out of business or that, that doesn't do well at a location, you know, she has to wake up every morning and feel some responsibility for that business not making it. And like to me, that I feel like that would be, and luckily for us, that's never happened. But it's something that she thinks about all the time and is super stressful. And I'm just using her as an example because I'm with her every day. It's like, we get to talk about football. Like, what's the most gratifying part of my job? That, like, I got paid today to get on a microphone and talk to you about the Georgia-Alabama game, which right. is the thing that everybody's talking about at work already. And it's just, like, also great because it's not stressful. Like, there are certain things about the job that are hard and, you know, certain expectations or reporting and do certain things. I mean, it's not an easy job all the time. But for the most part, I don't go to bed with an ulcer in my stomach. You know what I mean? Like I, right. I, I think that what, what, like what's the most gratifying thing about being a college football reporter and writing about recruiting? It's that it's not life or death. It's not serious. It's a form of entertainment, and it's just genuinely fun. And I know that there's a lot of people who don't have existences like that with their professional life. And I might not make the most money in the world, or you know, I might want to raise or whatever. You know, we have these discussions, you know, behind the scenes and all these things, like everybody else. But at the end of the day, man, it's just a fun job. Agree. 100%. All right. It's trivia time. And as I said last week, Ari, I am recycling some old ones, partly because I'm running out of good ideas and partly because a lot of them were done before our podcast was uh, out of the, was basically free. And you know, paywall. I don't remember the answers. So yeah, that's, that's the, yeah, it was behind the paywall. So I feel like I had some really good questions, some really good topics that not as many people heard. So if you've heard this one, I apologize, but it's a good one. How many P5 schools have not signed a single five-star in the modern recruiting era? 13. You remember this one. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> Do you remember what you guessed first time around? I think you said like, <laughs> like 25. 25 or 30, I think. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, Indiana, Iowa State, Arizona, who came close this year, Arizona. The closest they've ever come. Yeah. Purdue. And I had to double check Purdue today. Karloftis was, Karloftis was a, a five-star? No, four-star, high four-star. Uh, he was five-star, I think, at one point in his recruitment. Okay. Well, because 
when I recycled this question today, I literally double-checked Purdue because of that. So okay. we're thinking the same. Uh, Northwestern, Duke, Minnesota, Wake Forest, Kansas State, Washington State, Utah, and Kansas, who we spoke about earlier. Here's some notables that only have had one. Boston College, Brian Toll in 2004, Georgia Tech, Calvin Johnson, Oklahoma State, Bobby Reed, and the Bobby Reed, I think, benching was spawned the uh, I'm a Man, Mike Gundy uh, press conference. Oregon State, Isaac Simulu, I think he's pronounced it. He's a local kid in 2012. Louisville, Michael Bush, running back in 2003. In Nebraska, Marlon Lucky in 2005. And as I said last time we did this question, Ari, you want to know what's wrong with Nebraska football? They've got one five-star since 2002. Not good enough. Uh, Marlon Lucky? I don't know. Not to put you on the spot, but... Well, if you uh, stop texting someone and you could talk for a second while I look up Marlon Lucky. I was looking at Instagram. Two four, really? Any posts from Zoe? Are you, do- I don't follow your daughter. I'm sorry. Okay, good. She follows you. She does? Yeah. Marlon. Lucky from North Hollywood, California. Wow. Yeah. That California to Lincoln Pipeline. So He's also in the NFL now. Yeah. Um, you with me here, Ari? Yeah, I'm with you, bud. Um, I'm happy I remember that. I, I I think that's an interesting stat, and the uh, you know context of those things is uh, is certainly something that can help us like look into programs. And it's like you people forget, man. Like, yeah, Nebraska was really good before all this stuff, you know. So like to look at that to look at that stat, it's like, oh, what happened in Nebraska football? Well, they don't have yeah a bunch of five star pro. You said one since two thousand two. It's insanity. I, I would have guessed it would be more than that. I cannot believe that's the stat. Like Probably the, their cutoff of w- when they were great and when they're not great is like they were great up pre-internet recruiting era. Like, yeah. Pre, yeah, pre-internet recruiting area, and then they've been average to bad since. And I wonder how much the pre-internet recruiting era and like not having it all compiled and all the information and everything that's online like plays a factor into like Nebraska not being able to get guys. So you're saying if the internet existed in the eighties, Nebraska wouldn't have won. National no, I don't know. I don't know. Nineties. I, I think that, I don't know, I know what I'm saying. saying. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I think what it's I'm saying is that like, like yeah. Nebraska was kind of like a, uh, monster in the nineties. And like now that people are compiling the information and doing it, that, you know, yeah. it doesn't quite add up the same way that it used to. And, you know, guys are rated differently. I don't know. It's just not an, an area of the country that has a lot of players in that database. We're not the first. But Mitch, to raise can, I ask, question, can I ask you a question? What, what? Like, what? Where were the majority of the good players on Nebraska's roster in the '90s from? Um, a lot of them were from the East Coast. I know New Jersey. Jersey um, was one of them. Yeah, Irving Fryer, I believe, was from New Jersey. I'm sure there's a listener out there who can help us. I, mean, I go back and look at a roster. I think they did well in California and uh, a lot on the East Coast. Would be my guess because they've never um, they've never gotten to the pinnacle of where they were in the '90s because of Nebraska talent. So that's not like a new thing. No, but I mean they, they they did well locally, you know, with their walk-on program, and they would get the you know the dude in his fifth year who's you know put on 120 pounds. But it'd be it'd be interesting to look at not just a Nebraska roster because they'd have 120 guys and half of them would be from Nebraska because they'd be walk-ons. But it'd be look at the two deep like a roster and see where guys were from over like a five-year period. That'd be interesting. So. All right, Ari, do your thing. Thank you so much for listening to the latest edition of Stars Matter. Uh, this one was less profanity-laced, um, more measured. Yeah. And, um, 
I think more insightful. I thought this was a really good episode, Mitch. Um, again, thanks to everybody who listened. Um, we're going to continue throughout the off season once a week and, you know, trying to contextualize what's going on in the world of recruiting, have philosophical discussions and try to be a little bit deeper than who is going where and who is doing what, uh, just kind of, you know, give some extra thought to it. And hopefully as a listener, uh, you guys too can participate in the discussions and, and kind of figure out which side of the equation you are, are, are on when we theorize things. So, uh, until next week, that was Mitch Light. I'm Ari Wasserman. Thanks for listening to Stars Matter. 